0: He will be the finale of my of my well, he won't be the finale. You'll you'll be the finale of the group, but
1: hey everybody, welcome to the pre accident investigation podcast. How are you doing today? Okay, I hope so. Cause you know, we're dangerously screaming our way into summer. Yes, it's happening. I don't know when it officially starts because I don't really care about that stuff. And if you're on the other side of the world, (coughs) well, it's winter. I don't want to bring it up. But for us uh, up here in North America, it's a super groovy time to be around. And as I've told you a million times before, if you've not decided you're going to take a journey and visit Santa Fe, New Mexico and hang out, you should because the summer is the best time. June's crazy cool. July's cool. It's always cool because the opera's in in session and in session is that the right word? Opera's up and running. Uh, there's gallery openings all the time. Uh, amazing restaurants, fun stuff to do. You should be here with me. You can come sit in the front yard and watch TV. We'll make a steak. We'll cook some tacos, or we'll go buy some tacos. Uh, we'll go to a taco truck. That's where I'll take you is to a taco truck because that is the best part of the world. But uh, if you can't make it, you're here in spirit, and that's all that matters. So. The podcast today is really part one of a two-parter, which I don't do very often. But this one, you know, you just, so you know my deal. If I get interviewed on a podcast, then the deal I make with them is that I get to keep the interview and use it on my podcast. I do that for two reasons. One is because I'm lazy. Let's just get that out there. And two, because it actually gives you, um, I think, a different perception because it's somebody else, um talking to me, not me talking to somebody else. And so this one's really interesting. Jay Allen with Safety FM is researching, actually to an an amazing level, the uh, DOE handbook, book one and book two, that's available on the web. If you don't know about the DOE handbooks, you should Google this and look it up. But there's a kind of a fundamentals handbook on human performance that was written several years ago. The project was managed by a guy named Lamar Palmer, great guy. Um, and then there's a book two, which is a tool book, toolbox, tool book, toolbox, book, a book of tools. And, uh, and so those have been out a long time and lots of people have used them. And Jay got really fixated on sort of studying this. And because he's kind of an academic at his very core, he's interviewed pretty much everybody that's had anything to do with the inception creation and eventual distribution of those books. And it was my turn. And so he wanted to interview me. And so he did. And the way he did it was kind of tricky. Um, He walked me through all the books I've written and had me talk about sort of the backstory, really from my very first book to my most recent book. He had me talk about the backstory of all those books under the guise of sort of uh, tying it back into um, the journey that the Department of Energy had. So that's what this podcast is. And it was really long. I mean, way too long for one podcast. If you ask me, so I cut it in half. So I made it two like little thirty-minute podcasts. That's much more um, chewable, manageable, eatable, as in eating an elephant, than a one giant hour and a half long podcast, which I think is too much. You, I would get bored with that, and I, I bet you would too. So that's what's going to happen is, I, is I'm going to play um, really the interview with Jay Allen, and you, you're just gonna it just kind of picks up. It does it's. It just sort of starts. He just starts by saying, I mean, we just kind of start, and you'll see what happens, and you'll get kind of an understanding at least uh, of some of the nuances that were on this journey. And this is really, I mean, he starts way back. He starts before really Decker's Field Guide to Understanding Human Era, the first version, the the red and black version. He starts before that book. So this is a long time ago, but, and I, I think you'll find it interesting. At least I hope you will. Um, it's worth a try. So this is part one of a two part podcast of, uh, Jay Allen. And he's going to talk to me about sort of the, uh, at least my origin story and some of the origin story within the DOE and all the regular cast of characters, you'll hear all their names and kind of the journey we went on to get to thinking of human performance, the way we think of human performance. So that's the podcast. So sit back and relax and see what you think. Um, tell me, uh, In your comments, if it's good or bad, uh, you'll get a feel for it, but don't judge until you listen to the second episode because that sort of brings it all together. So here we go, boys and girls. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast two-parter. It's a a very special episode. (laughs) This is an interview with Jay Allen and myself. Enjoy.
0: Really what I wanted to do is when we have this conversation is really go down the path of, Right now, we're getting to the lines where you're doing your first book. And I guess the real reason why I wanted to have this conversation was, well, we've been looking at all of your books across the board. So I want to go back and have the thought process on when you're doing them and then other things that are going on in your life at the same time. So it's a a trip down memory lane. Mm -hmm. Okay. So give or take right here, 2004, you decided to write Simple Revolutionary Acts. And we're talking June is what I can find unless you tell me otherwise. The purpose at the time, what were you thinking about doing about doing that you decided to move forward with this
1: oh yeah so 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 the guy his guy name was uh his name was Bill McGrath, really good guy um and he said you ought to write a book and he said, if you write a book we'd be interested in uh in you know we'll we'll uh we'll buy some so i I thought, well, I wonder what I should write a book about because at the time i mean this is kind of pre the new view stuff a little bit and we're really just starting to dance around this notion of reliability, um, connected with psychological safety, connected with, um, the culture of the organization. So I looked at a book and thought, well, well, it strikes me that what we're really wanting to do is at the time I was thinking, revolutionize the workplace, but now if I had to do it, I'd probably say disrupt the workplace but revolutionary acts is really based upon this notion of disruption, but it was kind of before the word disruption became um, a popular term to talk about it. And I had spent a bunch of time working with Edgar shine on culture stuff because he's kind of the dude for culture show stuff. And he sort of led me to thinking about maybe writing the book. So kind of one page, uh, Represented a a small revolutionary act you could do in the workplace. That could happen at any level. It could happen at a leadership level. It could happen at the worker level, and it was relatively effective. It was kind of a fun book to write.
0: Now, at this particular time in your life, are you already doing the stuff with DOE? Are you already working on that program, or not yet?
1: So we're not. We're not. We haven't started it yet in the DOE. It's still a little before that, but it's it's coming really soon. So it's going to be right around the corner pretty soon. But uh, at that point in time, we're, we're still working with, we're just starting to figure out that culture and a more holistic view has impact on really reliable performance. So we're we're looking a lot at safety and a lot of security, but in the DOE safety and security are kind of similar. I mean, they're, they're not, but, but they're sort of managed kind of the same way. It's, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's been an interesting journey because initially we managed both safety and security with programs directed at the worker. And that Simple Revolutionary Acts book is really the first time when we started looking away from the worker being the problem to maybe the worker being the solution.
0: So do you look back now and kind of realize that this is kind of like groundwork? if you were looking full scheme on really getting into human and organizational performance as you're moving forward.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's funny too, because, because since you encouraged me to read that book on audible, um, I was really surprised at how well that book held up over 15 years or 16 years, however old it's pretty old. Um, And I really, really see this as kind of some of the initial groundwork to begin to sort of prepare the soil, to begin the organization in a conversation that's more um, holistic, more systems-based in nature. And it's funny, I don't think, at least I can only speak for myself, I don't think I would have been as prepared to move in the direction I moved around the safety stuff had I not spent some time thinking about the disruptive stuff that Simple Revolutionary Acts kind of represented.
0: Well the funny part is that as I listen to the book and really have read the book, it's interesting because it almost seems like it is groundwork that was built for the purpose of that. So hearing you say that it wasn't, it's it's amazing to hear because tri- it all seems strategic. Perfect.
1: It's all just serendipity. I mean but I but I think that's how change happens, right? It happens on kind of that arc. There's sort of an arc of change, uh, or there's a maturity model or maturity some some you know, it kind of moves. And I think I think Coca-Cola made me think, because Coca-Cola probably thought about it first and said, you know, what you talk about with our people is really more of a holistic approach. You ought to write a book about it. And then I wrote a book about it, which made me think more about a holistic approach. And it made me think more about really the difference between free agency, the belief that workers um, have free agencies, that workers are, are in command and control of their own actions, and and the belief that workers are actually part of a larger a uh, cultural environment. And if we want to change the worker, we don't ask the worker to be different. We change the cultural environment. So we do these disruptive acts. We take them to a movie or we serve ice cream at a boring meeting or, you know, we buy somebody lunch. Those kind of little disruptive actions that really now that I'm older, I don't know if I'm wiser, but I'm older. I see those now as really important to setting the stage for the change.
0: Well, I think that there are huge factors in there. So let's look a year ahead now down the road. And you don't have a book, quote unquote, per se, that comes out at the time. But July of 2005, I have access to the first lesson plan of Human Performance Fundamental Course. What's the feeling there? What are you looking at as you're going down that particular path? I know it's not part of your book collection, but still, it's it's an important document to your career.
1: I find that. (laughs) That's funny. Does it still, is it, is it still the same slides? That's the big question. Uh, yeah. Yes, they are.
0: Believe me, I've, I've done my research for this bad boy.
1: <laughs> that would be the same, maybe. I mean, so, so, okay. July, 2005, that's when we started working with Impo, And, uh, and that's when Shane and I would have initially probably started hanging out. And we started looking at the Impo program, which was really, um, Really quite extensive. Tony Mashara had done a ton, a ton of work, and it was quite extensive. And we started to apply it um, with the rigor of a nuke facility to kind of a non-nuke facility. Even though that's, I mean, it's kind of not not a non. That has a lot of negatives there. But <laughs> we started we started applying it in a in a in a much more uh, well not sort of non-utility application. And and it's funny because those initial slides, it'd be interesting to look at those, because at that time we would have been really fixated on error, on human error. Mm -hmm. And probably most of the conversation would have been around identifying error-likely situations and putting tools in the system to reduce human error, which we now know is kind of it was a little bit of a fool's errand, but I think that was really important developmentally to starting the way we thought about human performance. Because you really have to kind of start with understanding error, which then leads you to blame. And then once you really dig into blame and you start looking at the fundamental attribution bias and, and the things that sort of exist around blame, then that takes you back to error kind of for a second visit. But it'd be interesting to see those slides. What do you think about those slides?
0: Well, I thought they were pretty interesting, especially, number one, the way that I was able to get a hold of them. And number two, if you look at those original slides, I mean, there's been some changes throughout the years for sure. But when you first see it, it references you and Shane, and it doesn't speak about the other people that are on there. And I thought that that was interesting and not, not you know, just serving up to you and Shane per se, but looking at the different aspects on how it was built out and then the yeah. amount of people that are there. And the the lesson plans have been the things that's gotten me pretty excited on some of just the, the foundational pieces on how they were supposed to be taught out, the length of the lessons, and so on. So it's just and really we
1: were pretty good. Mm-hmm. We were pretty good at, at uh, putting all that stuff out in the public. So I would imagine those lesson plans, those, uh, the initial student guide. Did you get a copy of that?
0: I'll have to double check for the student guide because I didn't go digging for that because I thought the handbook was
1: it. The student guide we put together at Los Alamos, which would have been pre-Handbook, okay. um, it was really good. It was really, really, really good. And I had that written. Um, I had a team of grad students for a summer. And and so I ran them through all the the HP stuff we had and made them sit through a bunch of classes. And then I said, you know, what we want is a student guide. And the student guide, we, we decided we didn't want to give copies of the slides out just because that's kind of, I don't know. Back in the day, that would be one more three ring binder full of slides that you would never touch again. Right. So we spiral bound a student guide that supported the class. But it was really interesting in that it never had not even one copy of a slide in it. But every slide we showed was supported then by narrative, by actually research based cited academic narrative. To support all those slides, which is something you need at a place like Los Alamos or Livermore or Berkeley or Savannah River, the places where we would go and train, because our audiences were all, you know, for the most part, PhD research scientists, and, and they don't really, uh, they, they kind of know when you're making crap up. So you need to be able to cite stuff academically. Now, that's that really fun. That that student guide, if you don't have a copy of it, I bet you I have one. I saved some. Okay, it, well, They were really nice. They were really well done.
0: I would love to get a copy if you do have a copy yeah, of
1: it. I, I bet I do.
0: Now, the, uh, the other thing that I notice here is you have this DOE document, but all of a sudden in your book writing career, you don't have anything come out for another seven years, per se. Now, are, yeah. there, rev- yeah. are there revisions going on during the seven-year period to the DOE stuff?
1: No, not so much. So pre-the DOE document was the IMPO document. And you should see a lot of similarities between the IMPO handbooks, if you have access to those. But the IMPO handbooks and the DOE handbooks are 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 they're definitely cousins of one another. The other thing that happened between the IMPO handbook and the DOE handbook was that Decker's first book, the black and red um, probably a hundred page or it wouldn't very maybe 110 page long book, uh, field guide, to human error the field, the field guide to understanding human error, I think is the name, his, which would be the, the first version of that, that book came out and that book rocked the world, but hardly anybody read it. It was really funny when it came out, everybody acted like they read it, but you could totally tell who hadn't read it. And so, when you find people that hadn't read it, you'd kind of bust their chops and make them read it, and then they'd come back and say, "God, that's a really." It was a re-. that I think is. I mean, I can I can say this. I think without making uh, Sydney too angry at me, that book was really powerful. It was his first one, and that really colored a lot of the DOE handbook. Not so much the tool, not not volume two, the tools, but certainly volume one, the one that Lamar put together with everybody's help um, on sort of the, the foundations, the concepts. That book was, I can't, I can't underestimate how important that first book was.
0: Now, do you feel that that was like an assisted guide to the DOE and, and post stuff at the time then? Is that how you're looking
1: at that? I, I think it would be more foundational. I think what it did was changed the way um, that, and, and Jim Reason's books as well, but that changed the way that Shane and I, and to a great extent, Earl, and, and, and uh, gosh, there's, there was a, a cast of characters there that did that. It changed the way we taught the class, which then in turn changed the way the handbook was written, which that's when it starts to move a little bit away from the info book. Remember, the info book was written pretty early, And it was really, it was a philosophical as well, very well done. Tony did an amazing job, but it was written kind of under the old view, which was the idea that you would manage human error. And the, the, the Decker book helped us understand that that whole idea of managing error is really seductive, but it's not very practical. And that's when we started really looking more, even more so at kind of a systems approach.
0: So do you feel that he was using the info information to be kind of some of the foundational stuff moving forward for what he was doing research-wise for his book? Who's he, Decker? Decker, yeah, sorry about that. No, I don't
1: think so. I'm going to have to ask him that question, but my guess is he didn't. He probably did not have access to the info book because at the time, info was really, really, really tight with who got their book. You had to be a member of the info um, and you had to be a dues-paying member of IMPO to have access to their material. And so I would imagine he did not have access to that book. I would actually tell you, if it's a chicken-and-egg conversation, it, it probably started with Reason stuff, then some of Decker's stuff, then the IMPO handbook, then Decker's book would have come out. They would have been written kind of in parallel. And then Decker's book uh, and, and all that stuff kind of leads to, the DOE handbook, which we knew we were going to write and we knew it was going to be available publicly. I mean, everybody knew that. But nobody, I mean, Jay, nobody imagined in a million billion years that anyone would ever read the, the DOE handbook.
0: Especially as popular as they are now. Or yeah,
1: <laughs> In a million billion years. I mean, I just, I kind of thought we were putting together a handbook just for us. I knew it would be available. I mean, that, that's fine because it's taxpayer money. Um, so I didn't have any problem with that. But I never imagined any any other industry or any other organization would ever look at it. I mean, you just don't think about that. But that's kind of what's been interesting about this journey is that um, it's been really a journey of self-discovery. or, or Well, self-discovery <laughs> is accurate, but I would say it's been a journey of each organization discovering about itself And we never thought about this having um, legs outside of our own companies, our own organizations. I mean, I just, it'd be interesting to see what Shane said, but I'll bet you Shane said the same thing. It just, you never, ever thought anybody other than our little laboratories would care about this stuff.
0: Well, it seems like it's been an interesting past. So let's kind of continue down the road here. So all of a sudden now we're, we're in 2012, October, give or take. In the pre-accident investigation, an introduction to organizational safety, you decide to release it. What is, th- what is the thought process before you get to this book? So why did you decide to go with this? Um, especially because already at this point, you're, you're already teaching the DOE stuff. You've already done the other book, give or take, seven years ago. So why all of a sudden do this introduction?
1: Uh, so this guy named Guy Loft, who worked for Ashgate Publishing in London, and Guy Loft was kind of their aviation safety and reliability editor, he contacted me and said somebody told him, some, some, I put quotes in the air when I said somebody <laughs> told him to contact me to put together a book. He he thought there might be a market for a book that was written for the practitioner, not for an academic, And he asked that the book be written with no academic language, no long citations, no footnotes, and be written more like a conference speech and less like a textbook. And I said, really? Um, And you're picking me? And he said, yeah, um, you're the person that we think can put this book together. Now, my guess is, speaking completely out of school, is that Decker probably told Guy Loff about me. And I asked Sidney Decker that, and he was really cagey and didn't answer the question, which totally makes me think I'm right. But what I did then with pre-accident investigation was basically write the fundamentals class down um, and then put in case studies and put in some additional kind of information to reinforce some of the parts of the fundamentals class but it wasn't a terribly difficult book to put together because I'd been teaching all that fundamental stuff for a bunch of years by now and over time and now we've got you know Decker's book 10 questions reasons got maintenance managing maintenance air um I'm trying to think if if uh, Eric Honigall um, we're starting to read Eric Hallnagel, but we're reading mostly academic papers from him. There's not really a book out at that point that at least we had access to on Hallnagel. And we're starting to read um, a lot of, uh, uh, what's his name, Languishi, the guy that writes for Vanity Fair.
0: You know I'm going to pronounce it wrong, so continue.
1: <laughs> but we're starting to read him, and we're starting to put together, now we're starting to, in a, in a really kind of an applied way, putting together some of these theories, and we've got enough practice behind us. At least I should speak for me. I've got enough practice behind us because, you know, now we're rolling the program and it's running. And so we're doing um, much more uh, system-centric investigations. We're starting to really look at learning Los Alamos you know, was really the first place to roll out the safety learning teams. We made up the – I can tell you where I was standing when we made up the name learning team, which is not a name I would have picked, but it's certainly a name that stuck. It definitely so we, had, we, had a lot, we had a lot of practice behind it. And so that book was really pretty fun to write. And the thing that I think, think made that book successful um, was whoever the editor was for that book at Ashgate was also the editor for Decker's books and for Reason's books. So the editor was kind of, in a way, smarter than all of us because that editor had really the sort of collective knowledge of all the Ashgate publications that were coming out around uh, really this this new view, we used to call it, the new view of safety or or human performance. So as you look
0: back now and you said that it wasn't a difficult thing to write, what are you thinking timeline that it took you to write the thing?
1: Honestly? Honestly? Probably, uh, maybe a month.
0: Okay. No, and, and it's interesting because they yeah, still, they still, sell, they still sell I'm, the book on.
1: Driven with completion need. So when I start a project, I really, it's very important for me to complete a project.
0: Okay. No, because it's interesting because it's still available online and this is one of your only books that's available in hardcover.
1: Right. But that's just a choice. Okay. I I wouldn't even – I wouldn't put any book in hardcover because who the hell buys books in hardcover? Uh,
0: I, I, if we were talking by ourselves, I would give you that answer. But being that we're on the air, I won't say.
1: Okay. <laughs> because um, the hardcovers are, are stupidly expensive.
0: Well, it is it – is. I won't say the information's great, but it is kinda highly priced compared to some of your other stuff. Now yeah. the, the only reason I asked if it was hard was it hardcover because they tried to do it at first as a textbook? Did they try to go that angle even though they said yeah. they were told you to write it down?
1: And that's what Ashgate kinda that was their model. And it, it, it is in a lot of libraries and stuff like that in hardback. It's that book is really sold a lot. It's 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 uh it surprises me how many times that book sells. So that's part one. That's, uh, that's the first part. And I just kind of arbitrarily picked a place to stop. Actually, I'll tell you what happens is the next question he asked me is how we came on the name Pre-Accident Investigation and how come we started using Jingle Blocks. That's coming up. That'll be part two of uh, next week's podcast. So you can hear that next week. And I invite you to uh, join into the podcast in a serious and deep way and uh, listen to the conclusion of what we talk about. Cause right now we've only really talked about the simple revolutionary acts, which is available on audible and pre-accident investigation, which is not quite yet available on audible because it's really hard to read. And it's taken me a long time to read it because that's super boring. It is super boring to sit alone in a room and read a book to yourself. I'll just tell you that right from the start out loud, All right? It's not so bad when you're reading a book to yourself in your head and it's really not bad if it's a good book, but if it's your book and you're reading it out loud, oh yeah, yeah. it's a, uh, it's yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot going on there, but uh, it's interesting the questions Jay ask um, and they get even kind of more, a little bit more probing in the second part of this, this podcast. I was actually quite surprised by, by what he asked. He's interested in things that I, I never thought anybody would be interested in. And he certainly asked me questions I'd not been asked before. You'll see that in part two as well. So that is part one of the pre-accident investigation conversation between Todd and Jay. Um, I invite you to stick around and listen to part two because I think you'll find part two just as riveting. Not that this was riveting, but let's pretend it was. Until then, though, tell your friends. um, Have fun, for goodness sakes. Listen to people. uh, Sign up. Do all the stuff you're supposed to do. I mean that that that's what we want to get to, and how we want to talk about that. And that, my friends, is uh, what we want to do. So until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness' sakes, you guys, be safe.